Welcome to Trinity Church. It's Easter Sunday. Are you guys excited? Yeah. That's, 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 that's good to hear. Good to hear. I, my girls wanted me to dress up and preach as the Easter Bunny today. And I, I think I probably would look a little better, have a tie on, you know, our Easter Bunny and stuff. But it might be hard to concentrate, so I opted uh, against uh, that. And, I mean, it doesn't get much better than this, uh, the Christian uh, Super Bowl, at least for, for the church here. But you've come to hear about more than just bunnies, Easter eggs, pastel colors. I want us to be excited today, but I want it to be an excitement that lasts the entire year. We, we get that Easter isn't a scientific dating of when uh, in the calendar year, Jesus arose from the dead. But, but we appreciate this opportunity uh, to celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. Actually, well, we, we do that every Sunday. That's why um, now Judaism uh, worships on Saturday. That's why after Jesus rose from the dead, the early church, they started worshiping on Sunday. Because wanted to celebrate the empty tomb, that Jesus is alive, that he conquered death. That's uh, why we take communion every Sunday, reminding ourselves of Jesus' sacrifice and victory. So this is not meant to be the only time in the year that you remember the death and resurrection of Jesus, but I pray it especially tunes your heart uh, to embrace this Jesus. We're currently as a church in this, our study of the gospel of uh, Matthew, you know, working our way through it paragraph by paragraph. We're going to uh, hit pause on that for a week. Next week, going right back into uh, Sermon on the Mount. Um, but we're, we're going to hit, hit pause on that and jump into Luke's gospel as uh, we uh, read and study the uh, resurrection account there. Here's the thing, since we're jumping into Luke's gospel, we're going to read the whole resurrection account. We don't have next week to, to keep a building on it. And uh, we'll see how important this is for Luke. He, he believes that the resurrection is of so much significance, he devotes this entire chapter, save the last few verses, which belong to the ascension, he devotes almost the entire chapter to the resurrection of Jesus. And, and I truly love these gospel narratives of Jesus' uh, resurrection. You, you may have read this 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times. I, I bet you there are countless Christians all over the world at the same time hearing this same passage. But I, I pray that wouldn't grow stale to me, to you, to us but that we would cherish it all the more and that we'd be, be changed by this passage. If you don't have a Bible, there, there's a Bible in the seat uh, pocket in, fr in front of you. And if you need a listening guide, just lift your hand up. Alex would be more than happy to get you a listening guide. You can uh, take notes, see the points if you miss them. Our, our passage today, Luke 24, verses 1 through 49. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb 
taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other woman with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going farther. And they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, 
while he opened to us the scriptures. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told uh, what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. But he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I have spoken to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending you the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Pray with me. Father God, I pray you would remove distractions from us. We rejoice in this season and all of the good gifts we get to experience, but ultimately, we, we desperately need to see Jesus. Give us a clear vision of him through your word today. In his glorious name we pray. Amen. So we just celebrated a Good Friday as we reflected on the death of Jesus. Remember how, how powerful that was. And you, you may think, well, why, why can't we just stop there? Well, there's a reason all four Gospels continue. There's a, a reason DJ previewed um, for us on Good Friday. If the story ends at the crucifixion of Jesus, Jesus has lost and Satan has won. That, that's a big deal. Thankfully, that's not what happened. What, what happens here has been foreshadowed all throughout the Gospel of Luke. Even in the crucifixion narrative of Luke, you know, focusing on Jesus as innocent but treated as if he was guilty, treated as if he was a, a criminal. If it ended right there, the, the jury would still be out. It doesn't, though. How is the climax of this book resolved? Well, Jesus doesn't stay in the grave. He rises from the dead, God vindicates Jesus, showing to all that uh, Jesus is innocent. For all to see as Jesus rises from the dead in victory. So, so we're, we're going to look at what that means today. And, and in Luke's argument 
for the vindication of Jesus through his resurrection. We're going to look at a few realities that Luke focuses on today. Uh, Let's start with one you might think is quite obvious, but is of paramount importance. And that is this, that Jesus actually rose from the dead. I know I don't get points for creativity for that one, but it is of great importance. Luke is clear, as are all the other gospel writers, that Jesus did not stay in the grave. He literally, physically rose from the dead. He died. He didn't swoon. He didn't fake death, just recover a few days later. The disciples didn't steal his body and then live the rest of their lives, eventually ending in martyrdom for a lie. No, Jesus actually rose from the dead. Luke's extended discussion, you you saw that this was a long passage. It wasn't just a a few uh, short verses. Luke's extended discussion of the resurrection and uh, of Jesus and his post-resurrection appearances um, add more information than some of the other uh, Gospels do. They, they have slightly different purposes, slightly different angles uh, focusing on the resurrection. Luke makes it abundantly clear that Jesus is alive. And, and Jesus doesn't live on the same way Elvis lives on. And, and unfortunately, sometimes Christians have uh, shortchanged. We've shortchanged ourselves in settling to argue that Jesus living on, that Jesus being alive is primarily his indwelling ministry in his followers. Jesus does live on, but it's because he was resurrected uh, from the dead. Not, Not to engage in a favorite pastoral pastime of picking fights with uh, Christian worship songs. And, and, and they're good. I, I, don't, I don't have any bones here, but he, he lives. He lives salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. And, he, he, and that is true. Is there any, is, does Jesus live w- within your heart? He absolutely should. Or my God's not dead. He's surely alive. He's living on the inside, roaring like a lion. And that, that should be the case in your life. Is it true that Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, lives inside of his followers? Absolutely. Is it true that Christians should be evidence that Jesus is alive? Again, surely. But, but those things don't become reality. Those things don't matter if Jesus is still in the grave. If if Jesus did not actually physically, literally rise from the dead, as DJ read earlier, his followers are of all men most to be pitied. He, He would be alive in the same way that Taco Bell could live on in you the night after consumption. If you, if you want a, a truly a living Jesus inside you, he has to rise from the dead as the gospel authors, as Luke proclaims here. Every other religion, at a minimum, argues that their leaders 
prophets live on in their heart and mind. The gospel authors, including Luke, contend that something far greater has happened here, that the grave could not keep Jesus. He physically, literally rose from the dead. And Luke is more than happy to provide plenty of evidence to back up that claim. Here are, from the verses we read, just a few compelling truths he provides. Uh, First of all, Luke challenges his original hearers, his original readers, to go and check it out. You see, this wasn't written centuries after the events described. No, it was probably written in the early 60s A.D., What does that mean? That means there are eyewitnesses still alive. One could go verify, could go check out that Luke wasn't twisting the evidence. Luke is naming people, naming places. He's not trying to concoct a story which could not be verified. Go check it out. Ask the eyewitnesses. Also, women are the first to discover Jesus isn't in the tomb. You might think, well, why is that evidence? I mean, that sounds just fine. But well, in ancient time, um, different than our day, the testimony of women wasn't seen as bearing nearly as much weight as that of a man. If Luke and the other gospel authors were trying to make up a story, they certainly would have picked guys to be the first to discover the empty tomb. But that's not what, what went down. That they, they have no story to make up. They just have a story to retell of what actually happened. You see also here, the disciples aren't painted in the best of lights. We'll dig deeper into this one uh, later. But, but see that This passage doesn't make them look all that good. They doubt. It takes them numerous appearances of Jesus to convince them that he is alive. They don't even recognize Jesus on the road to Emmaus. If Jesus' followers were trying to make this up, surely they would have made themselves look a tad better, a tad more competent than this. And Luke even includes a couple post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, just adding to the evidence. When we get to uh, the resurrection in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, we'll see that Matthew provides a, a little bit more abbreviated account. And we'll see how that fits Matthew's purpose. For, for Luke, adding this evidence provides more eyewitness details one could go out and verify Jesus walks the road to Emmaus. He takes bread and breaks it. The the disciples think he is a ghost. But Jesus has them touch his hands and feet. Jesus actually rose from the grave. We as Christians proclaim that the grave is empty. Go check out the evidence. We're not backing off the truth. Every time we read the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene creed together, we're reminded that this is core to the gospel. There is no Christianity without the resurrection. To believe that Jesus is just an extraordinary man 
teacher but didn't rise from the dead is to believe in a liar who lost. Jesus conquered death and rose in victory. And that's how we know he lives. That's how we, we know his spirit indwells, lives inside of those who are Christians. Luke also has another related emphasis to the reality of the resurrection. It is this, that Jesus fulfills the plan of God. Scripture is fulfilled and God's plan comes to pass. Luke uses the Greek word day. It is necessary far more than the other synoptic gospels. Look at verse 7 with me. With, it is necessary, translated as must be, that the Son of God, Son of Man, must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Then Jesus uses it, is it in verse 26. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? God's plan is happening. He is not caught off guard reacting to the actions of people. It is going down just as Scripture said it would happen. The, the angels quote Scripture to, to the women. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Jesus rebukes Cleopas and the other disciple. O foolish ones and slow to heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And then what does he do? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And Jesus gives one final reminder before he commissions his disciples as witnesses. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, the whole of the Old Testament, law, prophets, writings, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. This is and always has been the plan of God. This is not plan B. This is not plan C. Not plan D. Since eternity past, our triune God one God, three persons, has planned this. Luke makes it clear that his entire gospel is leading to this, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Again, the whole story of the Bible, the whole story of the Old Testament is pointing to this earth and heaven shaking event. And this truth should be encouraging to you and I. God is in full control. No one is thwarting our God. He is sovereign over the most egregious sin in the history of humanity. That we killed God. We crucified Jesus. And he's sovereign over the mundane details in my life. The mundane details in your life. You may feel like your life is a spinning 
out of control. You don't know what to do. But, but you can trust that the plan of God is happening. He controls the meta-narrative of history, and he's in full control of your path, too. We can sleep well at night knowing this truth, trusting in this God, that our God conquered death in victorious resurrection. This is the God we can trust to resurrect us on the final day as he brings all history to its intended conclusion. God's plan was accomplished in the death and resurrection of Jesus. But uh, we, we also see here that uh, many people had a different view of what this plan of God would look like. Which, which brings us to another point of emphasis of Luke, that Jesus reshapes the expectation of his followers. It, it's not easy to talk about the expectation of Jesus' followers because there was numerous different uh, types of followers. There's not just the, the 12, but, but there was the 70 individuals that made up the large crowds following Jesus around. And, and all these people are, are multifaceted. But we, we get a little window, a little glimpse here from the disciples on the, or the road to Emmaus as they talk about uh, this Jesus. They said that they hoped he was the Messiah, but they were sorely disappointed he didn't redeem Israel and was instead killed. They didn't really understand exactly what was going on with the women not finding the, the body of Jesus at the tomb that morning. But, but it, it's safe to say that their expectations were shattered. And Jesus certainly doesn't hold back in rebuking them. Back a few chapters earlier, Luke 19, Jesus entered Jerusalem with his disciples shouting, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. The Pharisees weren't too happy about this. But Jesus declared that if his disciples were completely right, that if they didn't proclaim it, the proclaim his kingship, the rocks would shout, shout out to tell everyone. Here's the problem. They had a mistaken view of what Jesus as king coming to redeem Israel means. They were sure this meant getting Israel out of the grasp of Rome. To them, redemption included nothing less than crushing this Roman rule in the land of Israel, this Roman rule that they hated. But Jesus' redemption was so much bigger than just that. Look how he explains it on the road to Emmaus. You foolish people, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? The prophets had made it very clear that suffering precedes glory. And it would certainly work that way with the Messiah. They, they were looking for the glory part. But, but they had missed the suffering. They, they were disappointed when the most earth 
earth-shattering event in the history of the planet had just occurred, that Jesus had been crucified, buried, and then on the third day he rose again. He is the Messiah. He is the King. And through his suffering, he won. He beat the snot out of Satan, sin, and death. He proves he won. Why? Because he didn't stay in the grave. He rose in victory. But the reality for them was that they had missed it. This, that they had missed it because they were looking for a different type of Messiah, a different type of redemption. Good news for them is that Jesus appears to them, helps them straighten out a few things, and they do finally see it. But I would venture to guess that there are tens of millions of people attending churches just like ours in America today on Easter Sunday who miss it a lot like the crowds in Jesus' day looking for a different type of Messiah, a different type of redemption. You know, maybe you're looking for a Savior who can fix the mess that is your marriage. Maybe you're looking for some motivation in life, some excitement. I mean, it's Easter Sunday. You've got to be excited about something. Maybe you're here just to please other people and do the right thing, do your, your duty. Maybe you feel your kids need some Christian morals. If you're here for any of those reasons, you're going to be disappointed. But, but let me present you the gospel offer in hopes that the Spirit may, may change your expectations. Just as the Spirit worked to change the expectations of the followers of Jesus in this passage. That Jesus has come. He is the Messiah. He is the King. He came to make all things right in this world, cursed by sin, ever since our first father and mother, Adam and Eve, ate from the forbidden fruit. Since eternity passed, our triune God has planned this redemption. Being fully God, Jesus took on full humanity. Jesus' arrival didn't resemble that of most kings and great leaders. He was born humbly in a feeding trough. He was tempted just as we are, yet where we often mess up, what does he do? He continually resists temptation, continually obeys as we see throughout the Gospels in the account of his life and ministry. He lived the perfect life we could not and did not live. And then on the cross, what does he do? Does he have punishment for his own sin to endure? No. No, he endures the punishment we fully deserve for our rebellion against God. Jesus never sinned, but treated as if he was a sinner on our behalf. We have sinned, but Jesus invites us to accept the gift of his righteousness and repent of our sin. Being welcomed into his family, we are treated as if we never sinned because Jesus drank 
the cup of God's wrath. He drank every last drop for those of us who are in Christ. And Jesus doesn't leave his followers where he meets them. He changes them to look more like him. And one day he is coming back. He will resurrect us on the last day. And everyone will finally recognize him for the the king, the Messiah, he truly is. That's the gospel message I proclaim to you today. If If you're looking for a different type of a Messiah, you have a different expectation, I I would challenge you to consider the claims of of the gospel here, to consider it. Jesus Jesus can fix the problems in your life, but you're you're missing the far greater problem, the the problem of your your sin. You're you're looking for a, a different Jesus. This is the Jesus that the gospel authors that the Bible proclaim. And and Jesus goes beyond just uh, reshaping the expectation of his followers. Well, let's not miss this final point of emphasis we see here in the gospel of Luke. That Jesus moves his followers from doubt to faith and mission. As I said earlier, the followers of Jesus are far from the heroes of this story. But at the same time, they're not the same people at the end of the chapter that they were at the beginning. Well, let's walk through this story one last time and uh, look at these uh, people who, who look a whole lot more like us the more we see. First of all, the, the women at the tomb. They, they brought spices. And I'm not an expert in spices by any stretch of the imagination. Let me promise you that. But you wouldn't bring spices like this for a person who is alive. So it, it's fair to say they were expecting to see Jesus still dead in the tomb. They were per- perplexed about not finding the body of Jesus, and then terribly frightened, as all of us would be, seeing angels, men in dazzling attire, proclaiming that Jesus was not there, but he had risen. And and finally, they remembered the words of Jesus and went back to tell the disciples. The apostles did not believe them. And remember how it said they interpreted the words of these women as pure nonsense. Meaning that the women at some level had demonstrated faith that Jesus had actually been raised. These women had lots of doubt, but as we see here, were being moved toward faith. What about the apostles? How's this going for them? Well, they didn't believe the account of the women. You know, testifying that Jesus was no longer in the tomb and that the women had received this angelic message saying that Jesus had raised from the dead. How ironic is that? That the women have arrived at faith before these 
guys who've spent the most time in the past three years of any people alive, spent the most time with Jesus, that they doubt, that they don't believe it. But there's Peter. He's often running to the tomb. He sees it for himself and goes away, it says here, marveling, wondering at what had happened. This is best interpreted as a struggle between doubt and faith. He's not yet at full-fledged belief yet, but, but he's fighting to go in that direction. Other characters in the story, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, uh, they completely miss it that Jesus is the one walking with them. It's, it's beautiful storytelling because we know, hey, it's Jesus there, but, but they don't. That, that's hidden from them. It's great. But finally, their eyes are opened and they proclaim that their hearts burned within them when Jesus opened the scriptures on the road to them. What do they go back saying? They say that the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how it was known to them in the breaking of bread. They had moved from doubt and disappointment to faith. Back to the apostles, they were gathered together and were troubled and frightened, thinking they had seen a ghost or a spirit when they saw Jesus. Jesus shows them his hands and feet, and we see here that they too are being moved to faith. They don't just know the facts about Jesus being in in the, the grave, but they have exceeding joy. And and Jesus doesn't stop there. He sends them out. Look what it says. Thus, it stands written that the Christ would suffer and would rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And look, I am sending you what my father promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Jesus has moved his followers from doubt to faith. And it's the type of faith that doesn't keep silent. It's the type of faith that witnesses to what Jesus has done, what they have seen. All this has happened in and around Jerusalem. But Jesus is now sending out his followers to the entire world, to all the nations, to proclaim this good news. They will receive the Spirit, Jesus' Spirit, and be unstoppable witnesses to the resurrected Jesus. And we'll see that in the, the sequel to Luke's Gospel account called Acts. So if, if you're here today and you have questions, doubts, concerns, welcome. Uh, you're, you're in very good company. As in, in this passage, you're in very good company with all the followers of Jesus. Don't feel as if you're not in the right place because you don't believe without investigating. But here's the deal. Your inquisitiveness 
concerning the resurrection will do you no good if you just leave it there. Leave it on the back burner of something you're investigating, thinking about, um, have questions. It, it'll, it'll do you no good if you just leave it there. Just as Jesus moved his followers from doubt to faith in this chapter, he wants to do the same for you. We want to invite you to engage with us, to talk with us, talk with myself, DJ, Todd, the person who brought you. Uh, Come to one of our community groups. Bring your doubts, fears, questions. let's, Let's talk about them and pray that God moves you to faith just like we see he did here in this passage for the followers of Jesus. And let me address one more contingent of people that may be here. Religious people. I mean, heck, you showed up at church on Sunday. You might be somewhat religious. And maybe you accept the reality of the resurrection. No, no desire to debate it. Yeah, it sounds good to me. But just knowing the facts of the resurrection here will do you no good. Do you love this Jesus who rose in victory? Has he captured your affection so much that you're willing to give up anything to have him? Has he changed you? See, just knowing facts about Jesus, knowing things he did, even thinking, yeah, it sounds true enough that he did rise from the dead, will do, will do you no good. Even Satan knows that. It it moves beyond just a knowledge in your head to belief, to faith that stirs up your affections for this Jesus. And this faith and repentance isn't just for entering the Christian life, isn't just the first step. It, It is that, but it is for the entirety of the Christian walk. If the resurrected Jesus has become your greatest treasure, then tell others about him. Just as Jesus sent out his followers as witnesses with this faith that he knew that they could not be silent. This this Jesus had transformed them just as he wants to transform you. This is good news to share to all people, that Jesus has risen from the dead. He has conquered Satan, sin, and death. Pray with me.